Welcome to the Modern Enterprise Podcast. This is a podcast tailored for enterprise IT leaders and decision makers wanting to transform their organization into a more modern and agile enterprise where software drives the innovation. This podcast is hosted by Krish Subramanian, founder and chief research analyst of Risha.Research, a research firm focused on modern IT stacks and artificial intelligence. In this podcast, we will talk about the trends reshaping the IT landscape that falls in line with the modern enterprise framework, advocated by Risha.Research. For more information on our research, please visit www.risha.com. You can read our research articles at www.stacksense.io. We are reinventing industry research, for the data-driven world, by opening up our data and research process through GitHub. We encourage you to join us in our research, by starting our repos or doing a pull request whenever appropriate. This will get your voices heard in our research process. You can find out repos at www.github.com slash You can also watch our videos and webinar recordings at www.risha.tv. Please subscribe to this podcast at anchor.fm slash modern enterprise. Let us now move on to today's show. My name is Krish Subramanian and today in today's episode, I am with Simon Crosby, who is CTO of Swim.ai. We have some really interesting topics to discuss today. And also, I'm going to pick Simon's mind on what Swim is doing with their own recently released platform. Simon, welcome to the show. Uh, if you can, like, uh, give a brief introduction about yourself and also about Swim. Sure. Thank you. It's really a great pleasure to be here. A uh, brief introduction about me. Uh, I used to build hypervisors, so my real history in, in terms of what you would care from an infrastructure perspective is the Zen hypervisor. I was one of the founders of a company called ZenSource. Then I founded a company called Bromium, which does task isolation using virtualization, and now I'm playing at the edge with Swim.ai. And, you know, my history, way back, I was a lecturer at Cambridge University, the real Cambridge, and, um, you know, my background is applied mathematics. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So can, can, can you also talk a little bit about Swim.ai? We will talk in detail as we go forward. And congratulations on the recent funding round. And uh, that should give you guys enough muscle to sort of like... Uh, uh, take on the industry by storm. Like, uh, congratulations once again. Thank you. So we just announced that uh, that Cambridge Investments and Arm um, funded us for Series B. So what is Swim? Swim is an edge intelligence vendor. We are firmly of the view that the edge becomes intelligent by observation and learning, and that this cloud-based notion of big data rest and uh, humans training stuff to push to the edge is totally daft. Um, so the world will become smart by observing changes and learning on its own data. And Swim does this on tiny little bits of compute um, right at the edge. I'll give you some good examples as we go forward. Okay, awesome. Let's set some context. Let's talk about the problems with distributed computing. Uh, why is the edge very interesting to uh, many, many people today? I, IoT is one good reason, but uh, uh, please let people understand why edge is important and what are the problems people face as they try to set up a more distributed kind of environment in their organization, whether it's a typical uh, smart uh, home or smart sure. office or even a 
really like a uh, sensor centric uh, iot centric uh, um, uh, businesses like uh, let's say some uh, mining somewhere or uh, or even traffic right. uh, patterns in the city so if we can uh, get, get people understand the importance of age and the complexities associated with that that will okay. put some context for our discussion great so let's just assume that everybody gets the idea that people are starting to drown under the under the data from the edge so almost every widget, whether you're a consumer or every uh, device, if you're in the industrial world or enterprise world, produces a ton of data. Uh, just by way of introduction, uh, the city of Palo Alto in California produces more data every day from its traffic lights than all of Twitter. Okay. Now, people know that there's tons of valuable insights to be gleaned from this data, and they want to get them. Um, so they can respond more quickly to changing conditions so they can optimally, you know, optimize response times, um, drive vehicles on the right roads, do whatever they have to do. Um, and the question is, how are they going to do this? They don't really know where to start. And often the data is very noisy and it doesn't tell you stuff which is of great value. So the problem is how to take all this data and turn it into sensible things for humans or machines to do and to do that cost effectively and cost effectiveness I believe is fundamental here um, I'll give an example a large compressor generates 70 data points per degree of rotation of a shaft um, a shaft turns a thousand rpm and this compressor runs 360 days a year and these people want to get 361 days a year. And so we have the, the volume of information is massive. It's absolutely massive from one compressor. And the value of the insight in terms of dollar terms is modest. It's one day out of 365. Okay, so we're looking for marginal increases in performance sometimes which are not related to the volumes of data you have to get through to get the insight. And to do that cost effectively, this assumption that we're gonna send all the data to the cloud, get humans to grok through data, build models and figure it all out, is just nonsense. There isn't a cloud big enough to handle all this stuff. And you couldn't afford it if you tried. Yeah, uh, I think uh, this is a good segue to sort of like uh, talk about uh, various approaches to doing it. Like uh, in my opinion, like I see four different trends. Uh, I sort of, uh, I'm an industry analyst. I look at the patterns. I see yeah. four different trends. Like uh, one is the Amazon approach, I would like to call it a very powerful centralized cloud and dumb devices at the edge. And then uh, these uh, devices push data to the cloud to do everything at the central cloud. Then yeah. you have the Microsoft approach where you have a powerful centralized cloud, but an independent cloud-like stack, which itself will be very expensive to get going. So that uh, Azure stack at the edge and uh, then Azure cloud at the center. So they try to sort of uh, interact uh, together whenever there is connectivity, otherwise the uh, edge works independently of the centralized cloud. Then uh, today, uh, or rather yesterday, Google announced Edge TPU and Edge Tensor Processing Unit. That itself is a good, uh, interesting topic which I want to discuss with you. But uh, I, I, from from the announcement, I could uh, 
imply that Google thinks there is central cloud, but there is also a powerful processor on every small device that uh, you could think of. That yeah. sort of like uh, brings in uh, some kind of a more distributed uh, kind of processing when it comes to uh, machine learning and uh, AI, yes. AI related tasks. Then you have Swin's approach. Uh, uh, for the lack of better word, I will call it Swin's approach. But uh, there is no central cloud at all. Like uh, you have the distributed edge and uh, everything happens there without the need for a centralized cloud. You already said centralized cloud is nonsense from the cost point of view. And uh, also, I, I would put it from the connectivity point of view, at least at this point in time. So let's sort of, uh, other than the cost, what are the advantages with Swim's approach? And uh, what are the challenges one could face and how, uh, how it can be mitigated? So, so first of all, let me just clarify Swim's approach. In my view, processing gets smeared like you smear peanut butter on your toast from the edge up to the cloud. Okay, and that's exactly what Swim does. Swim orchestrates and builds a fabric of compute, pooling all the resources of whatever CPUs and so on it's installed on from skimmy little edge devices all the way up to a few instances in the cloud. Mm -hmm. But the key point is that this edge fabric is entirely autonomous. No Kubernetes here, no DevOps, no humans, okay? This thing processes data and automatically builds a model of the real world from the data and then lets that model learn from its own changes, okay? And so the cloud is not, in, is not um, insignificant. It's where you end up with high value, semantically enriched information which is relevant to cloud-hosted applications. But this notion of sending every single little fragment of information up to the cloud to be put into a database to be learned on later is totally nuts. So if you said to me, what do I think is really bad? It's this notion that technologies that have served us really well in the web world, so for example, REST, okay, which has allowed scaled out compute in the cloud, are totally inappropriate in a, in a world of continuous data. So REST and big data are my enemies. And so let me give an example why. A, a single traffic light um, would say, hey, I'm red. But then it will say, hey, I'm red, hey, I'm red, hey, I'm red, every second thereafter for all time. Now, if I'm using a REST-based approach, say even a Lambda, or, a, or serverless approach, then every time I get one of these pieces of data from the edge, I have a stateless Lambda function, which is gonna get invoked. It's gonna to go to a database, look up the last state of my traffic light, do some computation given the new piece of data, and then save the current state in the database again. Cool, that's great. But look at that, that's several hundred milliseconds of round trip time just to process stuff that we already knew. Mm -hmm. Total waste of time, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you try and solve the problem, which is predict the traffic, say in the city of Palo Alto, um, predict what every light's gonna do sometime into the future, you end up spending vast amounts of money, first of all, moving data up to the cloud, second of all, dealing with this long time lapse for these restless 
in architectures to go and hit databases and do serverless things. And the fundamental problem is it's stateless, okay? And so you, whereas if you can solve these problems at memory speed locally, like right close to the pole, which is the, where the light changes or in the city data center, you're operating, operating at nanosecond speeds. Okay, so I'm gonna advocate two fundamental architectural things that need to be done here. The mm -hmm. first is that architecturally, a reactive architecture profoundly changes the application approach to the edge. So I'm using the term react and reactive. Uh, people will be familiar with that from Erlang, Orleans, Akka, and say react, you know, reactive JavaScript and so on. The notion here is that every time an event happens at the edge, you just process it at the edge. And if it's, you know, I'm still red, who cares? You didn't have to change anything. You don't have to go and touch a database. And so what do you do? You save, gosh, several hundred millis several hundred million CPU cycles. Okay. So mm -hmm. this notion of a reactive edge is one where effectively for everything in the world, instead of having a database entry, which is a row and some number of columns, I'm going to have a little piece of state in memory, which captures the state of that thing. I'm going to call it a digital twin. And every time an event happens, I'm just going to modify it if I need to. And I'll throw away the original data. Okay. And I can do that cheaply on the edge on random little devices. So, Palo Alto, California, to solve the prediction problem in AWS is about $5,000 a month. But it's about 10 bucks a month if I do it on an NVIDIA Jetson. Okay. okay. That, that, that's an interesting uh, thing. Like uh, you're, uh, you're saying less data, but uh, sort of like take the data that is relevant, process it, and discard uh, the, the data you don't want. So yes. from that point of view, how long the data will be relevant and how will you, how, how can one decide? Uh, probably it is based on the use case, I would yeah. say. But uh, so like, uh, do, can you talk a little bit about it? Yes. So the concept here is, first of all, these digital twins, um, effectively for everything in the world, instead of having a database row with some number of columns populated, I have a, a, a digital twin of it in memory somewhere in some edge compute node, okay? And that edge compute representation of that digital twin has the current state, so it's stateful, okay? And, and there are properties which the architecture and Swim is a particular implementation of it ensure that that's persistent and, and, and highly available and a whole bunch of other things. So now instead of having to write everything into a database, I just stick it in memory and if I update it if I need to. Now, let me bring this into human uh, into human terms, you know what you like for breakfast, right, Krish? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. To understand what you want for breakfast, I do not have to watch the movie called Every Breakfast That Krish Has Ever Eaten. Yeah. Okay, so I don't need to save this data, which is all your breakfast. I just learn it. In other words, you, as Krish, experiencing a bunch of things in your life, have learned what you like for breakfast. By the way, you cannot remember what you had for breakfast last Thursday, okay? So the point is that these digital twins, they can record the current state of a thing, like this light is red, 
they can do something much more powerful. They can learn on the fly. So I'm going to add to this notion of a digital twin, something which is this ability to train online, to learn on, on the fly, given its own data. So um, go back to my example of a traffic intersection. Over time, we're going to see cars queuing and lights changing and pedestrians showing up. After a while, we get damn good at observing this thing and predicting what's going to happen next. We don't need the original data. And so each one of these digital twins can learn from its own data in kind of an experiential form, right? And so to so, do... Yes, go ahead. Yeah, that is a good point. I have a question here on that particular topic. Absolutely, like, uh, this is what we call experience in real life. Like, uh, you just uh, uh, learn from what you experience at multiple moments in time, learn from it, and uh, sort of deal with the uh, next instance that, that you're going to face. Yes. So I fully understand that very well. But uh, let us say there will be some instances where your experience could be, uh, uh, it won't be, you, you, you cannot be 100% confident. In some cases, you may need some context from the past. So, so this model fails in those instances, right? Actually, it, it, so, it does, so here's what, it, I'll give you its limitations, but here's some cool things. First of all, imagine I sat you down next to an intersection and I said, Krish, write me a program which describes how this thing is going to behave, given some inputs. You know, all you'd have is a black box. You could look at all the lanes of traffic and people coming and going and so on. It'd be hard. Now, the current cloud model proposed by AWS, Microsoft, and Google says some human, a data scientist, is going to sit and look at all this data come up with a model and push it to the edge, and that's going to accurately predict what's going to happen next. I call BS on that, okay? Yeah. I call yeah. BS on it for a bunch of reasons. First of all, there aren't enough humans. Second, the models that they create centrally are very brittle when they're deployed in highly variable environments at the edge, okay? Yeah. They tend to be inaccurate. And... Um, and there are a bunch of other challenges too, like privacy. If I have to collect all the data, then I get, you know, I have privacy challenges that might not be the case with traffic, but mm -hmm. there can other, other situations. Now, it's absolutely true that I cannot predict something I've never seen. All right. So, yeah. um, but there are things, there are techniques for getting around that. Now, but nonetheless, experiential learning allows me to do, um, to remember everything at the right level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, at some point in your life, you've had a blueberry muffin, and just me saying blueberry muffin allows you to think, yeah, I like those or I don't. It's captured somewhere in your neural net as a bunch of weights. So anything that we have seen and we can learn, we learn over all time, right? Any, any, everything that you have seen is adequately captured, appropriately captured and weighted in the neural net. Okay, so um, anything we've seen, we, we do actually capture, and we, effectively the, the weights of this neural network are programmed, and they define how, given a set of inputs, we expect the world to evolve. Okay, now there's another interesting observation here, and that is that each one of these digital twins is learning its own model for how it will behave. We're not trying to solve a model of how 
the whole of the city of Palo Alto will behave, which is a very complex model and very difficult to construct. And that's what you would do in the cloud, by the way. So what you get is the opportunity to have a model for every single intersection in the city. It will construct itself and it will be completely irrelevant to every other intersection in the city. And so um, what you get is lots and lots of models being constructed given local data and uh, they tend to be accurate, they tend to be robust and they are private. And so for a city like Palo Alto, which has got whatever, a thousand intersections, I have a thousand models all running in parallel on cheap compute at the edge. So when I say cheap compute, an NVIDIA Jetson, which is a $200 device, mm -hmm. will absolutely nail the city of Palo Alto. Okay, 200 bucks versus $10,000 a month. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the, uh, to make people understand this better, probably a more higher level example will be senators in Washington trying to solve a problem in King County compared to the local officials. So probably, probably they, 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 what, they upload, what they do will be more general and uh, may not solve specific problems, could create problems. The generalized model could create problems that uh, due to local conditions. So probably it's better to federal, make a more federal kind of government and yeah. let local, uh, local governments take uh, action on local issues. Yeah, or to federate insights, which is very yeah. powerful, um, and yeah. and that's very good. By the way, in, in general, you know, both both approaches are very valuable. Um, this one, if you said in general, how is the edge going to get smart? Let me ask mm -hmm. you this problem. You know, ARM now ships five billion cores per quarter. Mm -hmm. That's B, okay, five billion. It's a big number. How are those devices going to get smart? Clearly, they're not all just going to ship data to the cloud. Who's going to write the programs that make those things smart? The question is, can they write them themselves? And those programs, are they just the weights in a neural net? In other words, can these devices observe their own behavior and learn so they're intelligent? And that's kind of the thesis that they can learn in a similar way to the way humans learn, right? Observing their own context and behavior. And that's a very powerful constructive approach. That is, every one of these devices constructs its own model. The next challenge is then how do you compose them to get bigger insights? Mm -hmm. and that's a cool thing. Okay, yeah. swim, swim tackles that too. Um, happy to go into that in more detail. But yeah. it, this, yeah, we, we will definitely go into that. Before that, uh, before we sort of uh, uh, go into that, like I, one question I have is how much resource you will need at the edge uh, to gets may uh, uh, make an intelligent device at the edge. For example, can a really dumb uh, uh, ultra low power CPU be enough uh, just in the case of Amazon or uh, uh, just in the case of Amazon's idea of IoT or like uh, you require a specific amount of uh, power in the compute and all, all that to get started. That is one part of the question. The second part of the question is as the New, uh, neural net grows, like as it learns and uh, as the data points or the weights given in the neural net grows. Would you, uh, at some point, would you, rec uh, would, would it be, would this power, uh, would this computer you have at the edge be uh, not enough to sort of handle that? Like, uh, can you sort of talk about it? Yeah, sure. So, you know, 
the surprising thing is that I've articulated two benefits really in terms of learning at the edge. One is if I can get out of rest, that is pushing stuff up the cloud and taking a couple hundred milliseconds for every data sample, I get to operate the speed of the CPU. And so just an ARM CPU like the one on your phone or whatever, we're running at nanoseconds, okay? And so I get six orders of speed up, maybe more, just by doing that, okay? Mm -hmm. So that gives me a massive amount of processing power at the edge because I'm not taking this huge amount of time to go and do these silly, restful, network-based things. So um, it would then surprise you to learn that you know, simple CPUs like ARMs, like Raspberry Pis, can do amazingly cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And second, you know, Moore's Law is serving the edge just as well as the cloud, uh, as the cloud, right? And you saw that with Google's announcement uh, yesterday. They can have a edge TPU. It'll be a mm -hmm. cheap device. And my goodness, it's going to bring all the power of really complex, well, just matrix multiplication vector processing to any old edge device. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, thumbs up to Google. Thank you. You know, we need smarts at the edge. Today we use GPUs if we have to do something really hairy. But in general, CPUs or lightweight GPU or TPU type devices are going to absolutely transform the edge learning capability. How much do you need? Actually, it, it turns out very little. I said that NVIDIA Jetson, which is a 64-bit ARM device and a 256-core GPU, can absolutely nail a couple of cities for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a $200 device, um, or I can just run on idle cycles that you happen to have at the edge, which is what we do often um, in cities. They have a few servers lying about. We're done. We're done, and we don't need GPU. And so the key thing is that you need a bit of memory to keep all the weights of your neural net. But, you know, in general, the business of learning, which is really just vector multiplication, you have so many free CPU cycles. You can do a ton of it just on the CPU. And what would surprise you is that then on very modest devices, you can do very powerful things. So these marginal benefits, which I mentioned right at the beginning, become affordable to deliver. Let me give you a concrete example in traffic. Mm -hmm. So it cost me $50 per traffic intersection to predict traffic. That's just way too much money. But if it costs me like 10 cents, mm -hmm. then there is a market for the predictions from that intersection to Waymo, Uber, insurance companies, Google, Apple, and so on, all of whom are absolutely prepared to pay that. Mm -hmm. Okay, They're prepared to pay multiple of that. It's, you know, so, but they're not prepared to pay 50 bucks per intersection per year. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so there are huge opportunities but we have to deliver these insights affordably. Okay. Yeah. And uh, before I go to the next part of uh, turning the local insights into global insights, one more question I have on this topic of uh, intelligence at the edge. So how, let's say I'm getting started with the device at the edge. How long does it take, especially with the less volume of data uh, it is handling at that uh, device? How long does it take for the device to get intelligent enough to contribute something worthwhile locally? Yeah, great question. So uh, I'll just carry on with my example of traffic since I'm using it. 
um, very short time. So, you know, it just turns out the traffic lights are really stupid things and they bleed a lot. So a lot of data. And so once a second, you're going to be getting samples from these things. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it doesn't take long, like there's you know, millions of seconds in a year for an intersection to become extraordinarily good at predicting itself. So if I started us cold with random weights in a, in a DNN and then start just observing it, the errors in prediction decrease very rapidly. So within a few days, um, typically less than a week, we're within 100 milliseconds being correct. Okay. Okay. So, so the, these uh, waves, initial waves, when you start uh, cold, uh, the, which you are saying, are they truly random, or uh, are you taking it out from other devices where you might be learning? Let's say I'm rolling out for the city of Redmond. So when I uh, probably when I'm installing the first device, I agree probably I have to start go really random. But I, let us assume I have some data from the past legacy systems. Will you, will you be fine-tuning the weight from that so that the learning is accelerated or how does it work? Honestly, it's not worth the, F, the extra effort. Okay. If we just start everything with random weights, then, it, then here's how it learns. It's really simple. Essentially, your first data sample, your first set of inputs show up and you generate an output, which is a prediction. You compare that to the real world. And the difference between the two is the error which you could back propagate into your neural net. And then um, your next guess is better. And so each, se I mean, in the case of traffic, every single second you get a, a sample. So a new set of inputs, you get errors and you quickly refine. So, you know, in a matter of 60 seconds, you're getting 60 samples and 60 training events. So every single data sample both trains and predicts. And so um, these systems just, you know, refine themselves. The very first one is just a guess, but you get better pretty quickly. And um, so in any situation where you have a, a continually evolving worldview, so some notion of time series updates, right? So the world is changing. We're going to see views of the world changing. This notion of guessing and learning and guessing and learning seems to work very effectively and many okay. real world edge devices they send status reports on a second or sub-second basis so training is very quick okay okay cool uh, let's talk about how swim is helping to get uh, global insights from all these local insights let's move from being a driver at every intersection to a city planner planning to sort of uh, wanting to use the higher level data to plan out uh, yeah. new, new intersections and stuff like actually, that. Actually, so, so, so that problem is actually a solved problem. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, what I'm interested in is I'm interested in routing a Waymo through a city such that it never hits a red light. Mm -hmm. Okay? Not a city planner and doing traffic engineering. That's a month's or year's time scale effort. Mm -hmm. They're looking for hot intersections and blah. Or whatever. They know that. They, mm -hmm. they can even put college students at intersections counting traffic and yeah, whatever. They do it today. Okay. But route me a Waymo so that it never stops. That's cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you do that? So this is one of the reasons when I hear about Amazon and Microsoft and their cool approaches 
you know, even Google yesterday saying, great, I can have predictions on this, on this TPU on the edge. It's great, but how the heck are we going to get to the problem that we just described, which is mm -hmm. for a city, I need to solve a bigger problem. Okay. And in fact, how does an intersection get really accurate at predicting? It turns out that the problem of prediction, I'm just going to stick with traffic. We can go to others if you want. Um, if I know two hyperparameters, I get radically better at learning. Okay. The first one is if I'm an intersection, if I know what's going on at intersections within a thousand meters around me, I just improve massively faster. Okay. I get really, really good. And this stands to reason. The other one is if I have a small window of time of observations from the past, then I get really good at it. So two hyperparameters, it turns out that a minute or two of data is really awesome, and then mm -hmm. we're done. So the question here is, how does an intersection get hold of the observations from other intersections? Okay, again, this reactive architecture, and SWIM is a special implementation of that. Uh, effectively, what you want is pub-sub between intersections. So mm -hmm. I want to know the intersections around me by a thousand yards, say, or a thousand meters. And then I want updates from them. Describing that model is an interesting process. In other words, the model is not just one neural net. It's a bunch of neural nets because all these guys are learning for themselves. And they need to publish their own data and so on. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need a, a simple way to build these complex models which, imp, which effectively mimic the real world and the relationships between objects in the real world. And so Swim's approach here is to let the data build that. Okay? okay. So and I'm gonna what I mean here is this. In in this reactive architecture, you could use ACA for this, I guess. When it, an update arrives, an update arrives for a thing. If I have a digital twin for that thing, then I just hand it its data and it processes it and the, and learns and does whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. Um and and so and, you know, so for every intersection, it's going to have 50 or so sensors, each of which will be processing its own data. And these intersections will then find each other, find intersections around themselves by, you know, within a thousand yard radius, very simply because they all have a latitude and longitude. So all I want is a very straightforward description of the problem, which is find things within a thousand yard radius of you and get their inputs, okay? That is, th this complex model needs to be defined in, in a way which mimics the real world. I now have lots and lots of digital twins of intersections, and they all have latitude and longitude, but this single additional parameter allows me to specify a problem, which is get the inputs from the guys around you and learn on that too, okay? Yeah. That is a very, very straightforward compositional problem in in this reactive architecture where I'm just defining effectively a, a relationship between the objects. And um, the key here is to be able to do this in a way which means I don't need data scientists to do it. I just need a traffic engineer, say, or a, a manufacturing engineer who can say this thing is related to these other things and um, this and my my practical real world expertise allows me to define these relationships between the objects in my world. The objects themselves will just be built from the data. 
Yeah, in fact, that, that was going to be going to be my next question. What are the uh, controls you are going to? Who? Uh, how, how are you going to define the controls for these hyperparameters? So I was about to ask, like, uh, is it the uh, use case dependent or vertical dependent? So I think you answered it by saying that uh, traffic engineer takes it and uh, yeah. takes care of all those but parameters, and a manufacturing engineer. So you sort of like. Uh, Take uh, deep learning or uh, AI smart to people with domain expertise rather yeah. than uh, well, need to hire uh, data scientists. And so what you want to do is turn devices into data scientists. So each device is, is studying itself and learning for itself. And then give domain experts, local experts, people who are doing the thing, whose job it is, powerful tools which mean they don't need to be data scientists. They don't need to be cloud experts and they don't need to be part of IT mm -hmm. and give them a very simple way of describing their problem, ideally in just some XML and then we're done, right? Yeah. Okay. And that, to my mind, is one of the big leaps of faith of the cloud guys. You Absolutely. See, so they're all yeah. saying, I'm going to go and hire a data scientist for every single little problem at the edge. Oh, but I, could, I don't afford it. I can't afford it. Yeah. Okay. And so this business of, and, and they're constructing beautiful workflows whereby a data scientist gets this data, trains a model, cleans it, trains a model, pushes the model to the edge. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, yeah. there just aren't enough data scientists on the planet. And if there were, they'd be working for Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, this is very interesting and a very important point too. Like, uh, you neither need data scientists in your uh, workforce you don't need cloud experts to take care of handling all the cloud services. You can just Bingo. go with your existing uh, domain experts and uh, IT department and uh, you can get going without worrying about all the other complexities. And uh, you don't have to deal with the uh, uh, network latencies that come with the, uh, going yeah. to cloud for every single query. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's right. And what, one further thing, since I know that you're, <laughs> you love this stuff too, mm -hmm. You don't need a team of DevOps engineers yeah. <laughs> for everything at the edge, okay? So, yeah. so you know, I, I will say this, no Kubernetes here. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is awesome, yeah. I want this yeah. thing to run, but I don't need a raft of humans, you know, like Netflix has, to make sure the thing is up and running. It yeah. just has to run because it has to be affordable. And there are going to be so many of these things, they just have to run themselves. And so, by the way, this, this architecture, if you speak to guys at Lightband, they'll tell you similar stories that as we adopt this, this architecture, which is reactive, we get enormous benefits in that systems just build themselves and they just run. And that they're, very, they're compositional. They're very, that is, they have very, very strong compositional properties. They're highly available and, and other bunch of really cool properties. So, so we don't need, and in the case of swim, swim moves tasks around between, you know, edge nodes. So their resource needs a net. So if I have a learning task and it needs a GPU, it will move from a CPU to a GPU when the GPU becomes available, even if that mm -hmm. node is far away. It'll, mm -hmm. Swim just moves it. Okay. So many of these things, which communities and, and the DevOps world is just discovering, it's just part of this fabric. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to have this to make these edge situations uh, affordable. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we wind up, I have one more uh, question to ask. There is like a, 
uh, we talked a lot about the traffic use case. Can you also talk a little bit about other use cases you are yeah. seeing for, for this kind of an approach, uh, especially reactive architecture? And the yeah. follow-up question to that will be, what are the limitations in terms of, uh, the, what are the use cases we cannot use this approach? Yeah. So that'll be great, yeah. Great, so actually let me start with the limitation right now, right off the bat. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't predict something I've never seen. Okay, mm. so um, now we have this idea, we've done a little bit with it, which is essentially giving neural networks nightmares, which is essentially if you have an idea about something that might go wrong, you can train it, you can create artificial data, right? Mm. Which helps it prepare for that eventuality. But in general, if you, if you're simply learning by experience, you can't predict a thing you've never seen before. So there's a limitation. Mm -hmm. um, okay, but let me give you another really cool example. Okay, and the notion of learning here is very different. It's not neural network based, but it, and it's very simple, but wow, it's powerful. So we're deployed um, in an aircraft manufacturing facility where everything is RFID tag leveled. Okay, so there are millions of RFID tags in a mile long factory, 2,000 readers, and a single tag is getting seen by lots of readers. And so this firm was dying under tag reads, literally dying. Okay, they're getting 4,000 reads a second from you know all of these different readers, 2,000 readers, they're dying. Okay, but what do we do in this new architecture, which is reactive? We have a digital twin for a tag and it's sitting in memory somewhere. By the way, the whole thing runs on two Raspberry Pis. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have millions of these tags. Every time a sensor sees a tag, it goes to a digital twin of the tag and just says, Hey, I saw you. So it's a quick thing in memory and a tag is, what does a tag do? It's getting seen by multiple sensors. And from each one, it gets the signal strength. And the obvious thing to do, and here is learning, it says, where am I in three space? I'll triangulate off all these readers, and I can now uniquely position myself in three space. So suddenly, instead of having a database full of tag reads, or even a database full of tags and a whole bunch of computation and everything else, I now have, in a couple of Raspberry Pis, millions and millions of tags, Every single one of them knows where it is. I just say, where are you? And they'll tell me. Now, the virtual factory then, which is the compositional object, just tracks these tags as they run around in tree space and draws a map. More than that, a very simple query is this. What is near you? What's within three meters of you? Okay. And so suddenly you're moving from an individual tag to a wheel subassembly or an engine subassembly. And you can see subassemblies moving through the plant, okay, instead of nuts and bolts. Okay. And this absolutely transforms the whole view of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly the problem is the, the, what we're doing is we're automatically constructing a real time model and a view of this factory. And um, instead of dying under tag reads, they get really powerful insights into their production facility through you know, just a couple of Raspberry Pis, okay? Mm -hmm. And that slashes their Oracle bill at um, 
cut the size of their database well, of, their, of their data center by a factor of two, and it saves them a ton of network. Okay? Awesome. So mm -hmm. It's a different notion of learning, but it's the same concept, which is essentially this digital twin notion, twins that learn where they are, and then you know, do cool stuff. Yeah, awesome. Actually, uh, this is really interesting. Like, uh, I think uh, we will have to come back again after a few months and talk a little more deeply on this topic. I think it was a great conversation with you, Simon, and uh, it was a pleasure having you. And the conversation has been really interesting. And uh, we will come back again with, uh, to talk to you. Chris, it's always a great honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to StackSense.io sponsor Swim.ai. Swim is real-time edge intelligence software. Swim enables intelligent data transformation at the edge by reducing, analyzing and learning from fast data locally on edge devices. Thanks to other sponsors of StackSense.io for their continued support. Thanks to Cloud Fabrics and CoreStack for their support. You can learn more about Cloud Fabrics at www.cloudfabrics.com and CoreStack at www.corestack.io.